Uh, and this one's far from over, but uh, I tell you what, uh, just based on the early returns, I think the uh, programs from the state of Mississippi uh, to coin a very old Lou Holtz phrase from the 80s were living a lie. Yeah, a little bit, guys. I mean, I. And one that it's one thing, you know, to have a a good you know start to a season or a good two thirds to three quarters of a season. Only the special programs can finish seasons off and uh, can handle expectations, can handle you know being in the spotlight from the word go. The state of Mississippi has never done that well. Ole Miss finishes with four losses, and that was just putative performances I've seen in a bowl game in a long time. Uh, you know, they just were not ready to play at all. Mississippi State's gotten off to a rough start with a team that's very tough to prepare for in Georgia Tech. But I think we've all seen Dak Prescott has not played at a high level for the last, you know, month, month and a half. And the word is that he is coming back for the senior year. But uh, the right back, Robinson, number 13, appears to be the part of Scott Tech. Yes, uh, he announced on Instagram today that he will enter the NFL draft to help his family. Young man's a good player, but I think he's a fourth or fifth round pick at best. Uh, a little bit undersized. There's a lot of good backs coming out, and I believe T.J. Yeldon will probably be one of those. But uh, uh, a lot of these running backs with the shelf life they've got, uh, you know, they just really they want to you know start their careers. And to be honest, had not seen much of him today, but the young man at Boise State really impressed me. Kerry kind of reminded me of Eddie Lacy. Uh, that young man is coming out early as well. Don't know what round he should be slotted in. But I think uh, somebody, uh, an NFL squad, could get a quality guy probably in the third or fourth round uh, with the young man at Boise. He had 130-something uh, yards today and uh, I, I think led the nation in overall offensive touches. The young man was very impressive. Before I tell the music anecdotes from here in the lobby, I want to remind all our listeners, uh, those of you that are not out on the town or if you are on the town, this can be a cell phone. You can call in and ask us questions. Uh, Big Cat Barbecue Bams Radio Hotline number is 714-510-3707-714-510-3707-3707-3707-3707-3707-3707-3707-3707-3707-3707-3707-3707-3707-3707-3707-3707-3707-3707-3707-3707-3707-3707-3707-3707-3707-3707-3707-3707-3707-3707
I don't know if it'll be a 50-50 crowd, but it'll be, you know, uh, it'll be a, it'll be pretty close to that. Uh, I think it's going to be a great atmosphere. I think both the games are going to have great atmosphere. Can't wait to see both of them. I think they're both great matchups. Uh, uh, you know, TCU made a statement today, but uh, I think they're a really good football team. But I still think if you have to go back and look at it, the committee got it right. And uh, looking forward to both of those matchups tomorrow. Yep, and I want to go ahead and bring in our first caller on the Big Head Barbecue Bams Radio Hotline. And he's a, he's a good friend of the show and a good friend of ours. He is Touchdown Alabama's Stephen M. Smith. Stephen, you're live on Bams Radio. What's up, man? How you guys doing? How you guys doing on this fantastic Wednesday night? Doing good, Stephen. Man, we're looking forward to the matchup, man. So uh, same here. You talk about two of the best minds in the game, and you know Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, uh, two of the best offensive minds, and Lane Kiffin and Tom Hartman. This is just going to be a uh, a very uh, electrifying matchup. And uh, one of the things that I've been hearing all week is. A lot of sports writers have talked about, well, if you take away uh, Amari Cooper from this offense, then you pretty much have Alabama's offense on lockdown, which couldn't be any further from the truth. I mean, you look at Alabama, you have the Andrew White, Christian Jones, and O.J. Howard. All three of these players have put in some strong performances as of late. So if I'm Ohio State, it's more than just Amari Cooper you have to key in on. Because Amari Cooper can have a five to six reception game, and OJ Howard can break out, or Christian Jones can go off, and let's not forget DeAndre White is no stranger to the Sugar Bowl matchup. Because in the 2014 game, DeAndre White had three catches for buck 39 and one touchdown. You know, Stephen, you yeah. had two of the greatest minds in the game. I was a little taken aback when you weren't talking about Judy Armand and Terry Clark, but anyway. <laughs> You're right about Nick and Earl. They are. They're, they're, they're pretty smart. But, uh, yeah, you know, Stephen, we've been down here. Uh, Thomas Watts and I have been down here all week, really, since Sunday. We've been talking to players and coaches. And we got kind of a sense. I mean, Ohio State is, is, is a fairly laid-back bunch of guys. Alabama's here. You can tell it's a business trip. But that's part of the savings process. You know that, Stephen. You know it, Drew. Uh, when when they see it up tomorrow night, Alabama number one team will be more than ready to go. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I agree with Steven, first of all. I think DeAndre White can play a crucial role. He's coming off his best game of the year. said that today in my piece on my Crimson Flashback with Missouri. Four catches for 101 yards. The big 58-yard post pattern for the touchdown to put him up 14 to nothing. And it also led to Shane Ray's ejection. Uh, I think you know he, if they double if they double Cooper consistently, DeAndre can get open. I also like Christian Jones' action in the last game. Uh, I thought he had one of his better games, 40 yards and a touchdown. Can be a guy you can line up in the backfield, can move around. He, you know he can do a lot of different things. And also watch out. Uh, you know Coach Saban kind of hinted at it this week in the, one of the press conferences about Jalston Fowler could also see some time running the ball. And I've also heard Tyron Jones could. So Alabama's got a lot of weapons. Uh, obviously, Amari Cooper is the number one option. But I think, you know, when you average almost 500 yards offense per game, uh, they've got a bounce attack. I think Alabama, everybody's talking about Ezekiel Elliott, but Alabama's got two 900-yard rushers, you know. Uh, 930-some yards for T.J. Yeldon, right at 900 just about, uh, within five yards of that for Derrick Henry, who to me has really started to come on in the last month. And so I really think Alabama can move the football in Ohio State. The big key, they got to stay – Clean all over. 
Steve, what else you got for us, brother? Uh, another question I, I have for you guys is, and everybody's talking about expansion on Ohio State's defensive line, the likes of Michael Bennett and Joey Bosa. But if you look at Alabama's defensive line, Sharon Reed, Juco transfer, needs that defensive line with 54 tackles this season. He's been alone, uh, third in gaps, as well as Sean Robinson, Johnson, and uh, Johnson Allen. But in the, uh, in the notion of Kirby Smart, he said that he wants to come after Cardell Jones early and often. Do you see uh, Kirby Smart putting the cornerbacks, uh, Cyrus Jones and Eddie Jackson, more so on an island in this game, or do you see more safety help given? Well, well, I'm off. I'll, I'll, I'll I'll and I apologize that I sound like I'm in a fish tank. I use uh, yeah. my headphones. But I think it's very overstated that Ohio State has a better defensive line. The top four that they're going to bring out there, their first starters are better than Alabama. But whether Ohio State has four, maybe five, Alabama has eight, nine, and ten. Now, in terms of how you defend a deficit, a deficit is 6-1, 189, I think you can jam him. I think you have to jam him because he's a burner. It just depends on how the game, the game unfolds. If if they try and give Jones the easy game to those passes, you have to press up and put the same here with the top. But if they start launching balls, you just defend your zone. And yeah, and I agree with Thomas, and I think Alabama has. I, I, and I to be honest, I wouldn't even. I'm not even sure that with the way Ashawn played against Missouri, and then Jaron's played since the Florida game, that I would uh, automatically give it to Ohio State in their D line. I think Bosa is a great player. I think Bennett can play as well, but I think Alabama's starters can hold up. I think Dal- Dalvin Tomlinson has gotten better as the season's gone along with his health. I think he can be a factor in the game. I've all I thought Jonathan Allen had a, a, a very solid year. He's second on the team with four and a half sacks. Uh, and I think the two guys that's not being talked about. I think Alabama will play a lot of four man front. Uh, just remember that uh, that Xavier Dixon eight sacks and Ryan Anderson since his insertion into the lineup against Southern Miss and then a, a role that has grown uh, starting with a, when he uh, took over for Denzel Duvall after he was injured in the Ole Miss game. I think Alabama's pass rush can affect Cardell Jones. Jones is not a dynamic runner, a uh, quick twitch guy like, say, a Nick Marshall or a Johnny Manziel. He's a big lumbering guy, even bigger than Dak Prescott. So Alabama's got to bring a lot of hats. But I think they can get pressure on Cardell Jones. And I'm sorry, I know – Alabama had control with Josh Dobbs when he saw his first action of the season against Alabama, but they've had a month to prepare. And I think with Cardell Jones only in his second start, he does he's caught himself a 12-gauge with a strong arm. I know he's going to test Alabama vertically, but I think he's going to see some combination coverages, both man and zone, that he hasn't seen before, and hopefully Alabama can turn him over. Well, Drew, it's interesting that you bring that up. I specifically spent the majority of the Alabama media day asking defensive players – how do you prepare for Cardell Jones because there's a lack of film? And the responses really ran the gamut. But there was a lot of you just have to study the tendencies you've got. But I think Reggie Raglan gave the best answer when I asked him that question. He said that we'll know what kind of quarterback we've got in the first 10 minutes, what Jones is in the first 10 minutes. And I left that conversation feeling this is when Saban and Smart would really earn their money. 
they're not going to be as prepared just because there's not as much to prepare off, prepare off of. So they're going to have to be able to adjust. Like that first, that first wave adjustments after the first series, the second series are going to have an outsized effect on Cardell Jones as the game goes on. <clears throat> yeah, there's no doubt about that. I, I think I, I agree with that, Thomas. I think it's gonna I, it's gonna be one of those things, kind of like chopping wood. But I think the, the the first thing they have to do first and foremost is take Ezekiel Elliott out of the game. You don't want Cardell Jones to continue to be ahead of the sticks and being comfortable down and distant situations. You want to put him in some long yarded situations, make him have to throw the football, uh, make him have to face a blitz, face pressure in his face, see how he reacts. You don't really know yet, so we'll see there. But uh, I think really the first thing, they've got to make him one-dimensional. And that's what they always did to Urban's offenses at Florida. They always shut the run down. They were able to shut down the direct quarterback runs, shut down the tailback, and then you put them in some long distance, uh, long yardage situations. And then you, the key is to get some turnovers, and that's what they did in 2009 and 2010, and we'll see what happens. But I, I think that's the key uh, Excuse me, uh, Thursday night. Hey, Drew, uh, some of the best news of the week if you're an Alabama fan, something I was actually able to break yesterday, yes. uh, is that Darren Reed is coming back for his senior year. There have been a lot of speculation over the last few weeks, really starting with the LSU game and he made 15 tackles. But it's going on from then to now that, that he was going to throw. And I sat down face-to-face, man-to-man, with him across the table at media day yesterday, and he straight up told me I'm coming back. And I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, for sure. And he said, yeah. And I said, did you put your name in, you know, to be dad? He said, yes, sir, I did. And I said, well, they tell you. And he gave an answer or something like, well, I don't really remember the exact result. <laughs> that, right. that to me tells me that they said not first and second round. Right. Not first and second round. Our coaching staff and Coach Saban said you can come back, as they should. So uh, I thought that was great news, Drew. That's kind of part one. And I'll let you comment on that. But I also want you to comment on the fact that uh, Reggie Ragland said he got some very positive feedback from the Right. And I, I think, you know, we had heard for the last month Jaron Reed was seriously considering a jump to the NFL. Um, you know, and, and he had played very well since uh, week four against Florida and on September the 20th. He played at a very high level. You knew that he was going to be evaluated. I agree with you, Kerry. You know, we had heard he might be evaluated as a second-round pick. Obviously, that didn't happen. And so he's decided to come back. And I we don't have another call you know, I told you that I thought I felt like, you know, I heard you hear rumors of second round, but you want to make sure it's concrete because you can easily slip after that. And so I think Jaron's making the right decision to come back and play another year. Alabama could have a dominant defense. I know that's what the coaching staff is selling him on and thinking. And uh, with Reggie Ragland, have heard that he was going to be evaluated and that Coach Saban wanted to sit down with he and his family. I thought they might do that during the month of December, but I don't think it's happened yet. I think he wants to sit down with Reggie. Uh, after this season is over. Uh, obviously, Reggie said he got some nice little news, which means he may have been evaluated as a second rounder. No disrespect to Reggie. I don't think he was evaluated as a first. Uh, haven't seen that, any kind of speculation on that. Uh, second would be a little surprising, even though he's had a heck of a year with 91 tackles uh, to lead the team. But uh, I really believe that he needs another year of seasoning. Could even slide over to the Mike linebacker, get even better in the scheme, and then his transition to the NFL will be quicker. Uh, from what I heard last night from someone close to the coaching staff, 50-50 on that right now. But the one good part is someone that I know that speaks with his uh, stepbrother here in Huntsville, he is going to listen to Coach Saban. So I think that he's the only guy right now uh, besides the big three that everybody is aware of, Amari Cooper, Landon Collins, and obviously T.J. Yellen that will turn professional. Uh, but I think, obviously, they need that Reggie Ragland needs to sit down with Coach Saban 
and talk about this. Could he leave? Yes, but I still lean toward him coming back. I think that's what the staff is hoping after he meets with Coach Saban. But, again, Reggie's had a great year, breakout year for him, but I think he needs another year in the system before he moves on to the next level. And we do still have Stephen M. Smith at Touchdown Alabama Magazine with us here on the line. Uh, Stephen M., what are your observations about uh, who might stay and who might go on this Tamil football team? Well, we, we talk about who might need to go professional, and it all starts with Amari Cooper. I mean, this young man has nothing else good enough to prove. He owns every receiving record in the Alabama history books. Just a phenomenal bounce back season. We know the numbers. Don't have to really go into much detail on them. But the thing that impresses me the most about Amari Cooper is his ability to not just be a playmaker, but also open up opportunities for teammates on the field. We talked about the Andrew White this season, 37 catches. 439 yards, four touchdowns. Uh, Cooper's done a great job of opening him up and other teammates involved with him. Uh, T.J. Yeldon, a young man who was battled injuries all season, still 68 yards away you know, from a third 1,000-yard season. He's done a tremendous job running the football, making quick cuts, reading the hole, being patient, and also Landon Collins leading the team with 91 tackles. But I love the most, I love the most about Landon his ability not just to play the ball, but to come up in the box and not be afraid to challenge the run game and be in run support. So those three definitely I see leaving. I agree with Drew on Jaron Reed. I believe he will return. I honestly want to see Reggie Wagner return, not just for the scheme of things, but also to learn more about not to learn more about not just calling the plays, but actually getting more in depth and breaking down the plays, deciphering where the ball is going. He does a great job of being lateral and lateral with the quickness and being able to step up in the hole, stop the run game, and create uh, a pass rush. But I also want to see more of his you know, vocal style of leadership, really calling that plays from a, from a Mike linebacker standpoint. So I would love to see uh, Jaron Reed and uh, Reggie Wagner return. I think both come back. But as far as uh, Landon, Amari Cooper, and T.J. Yeldon, I see all three of those guys going professional because they've done their job. They all three are providing leadership. And I just don't see anything there that they, that they have to prove because all three have had phenomenal careers. Stephen, we really appreciate your call tonight and uh, roll tide for you. Uh, Happy New Year. And, again, folks, that was uh, our first call tonight, Stephen himself from Touchdown Alabama Magazine. We do have Thank a, you, brother. Just a second. Thanks a lot, Stephen, and Happy New Year. Uh, really getting back to what we were just talking about, uh, it, it really, to me, is just when you talk about the fact that Jaron Reed is now coming back, D.J. Petway is coming back, uh, Ashawn has one more year, uh, Jonathan Allen, who you mentioned, uh, young guys coming in, you got to think Alabama's going to have one of the deepest, they already do right now, but even next year, one of the deepest defensive lines in America. Yeah, and the two guys to watch as far as young cats that, I think can come come into their own. I think that the coaching staff is very high on. Not surprisingly, is Deshaun Hand and also you know Josh Frazier. I think uh, both those guys are young guys that's played some this year, shown flashes of talent. They can come into their own and do do the job. Then if you add Jonathan Taylor to the mix, and I believe he'll be added to the mix, Kerry, to play the nose spot and to take Brandon Ivory's spot. Uh, and, and, you know, place as far as someone that's graduating. I think, no disrespect, Brandon's been solid throughout his Alabama career, but I think Taylor has more ability and talent 
uh, know someone that's spoken with Bo Davis. Bo Davis thinks he could be the best defensive lineman on the team once he signs, which is just stunning when you consider the depth and talent of this group. But I think he could be as good a defensive line as Nick Saban has ever had at Alabama, Kerry, and that's saying something. That is saying something. The thing about the thing about Jonathan Taylor uh, is he's a parent of Cody Tyson, right. that can play any type of offense. Uh, yes, he's a big boy, 6'5", 320, what have you. Maybe he's a boy now. He's pretty boy. But he's agile, mobile, and hostile. And he, yep. uh, he you know, <laughs> he's, he's going to command the double team, which is the job of the nose guard now down the defense. And uh, he also will allow Aishon, uh and Jaron to play more in when needed. You, you, you have some combinations. You, you take those guys along with you, J.K. Lay Johnson, Allen, Deshaun Hanson, you mentioned Josh Fraser. Uh, I, you know, we could go on for an hour about how good the defensive line is going to be. But uh, let's kind of swing it back. We're not going to talk any recruiting this hour because we're going to have John Garcia from Scout.com who is reporting live from San Antonio site of the Army All-American game with us uh, just after 9 o'clock. And we'll try to keep him on as much of the next hour's defense. So we're going to hold off on recruiting talk right now other than the fact that that was great information about John Taylor. And, uh, Drew, it's, it's something with Taylor that needs to be resolved really quickly because this class has started about, what, less than a week? Yes, they start January the 6th. Uh, Blake Barnett, who we spoke to, as you know, last week, uh, has already had some of his stuff shipped down there, is already getting ready to come on and uh, and do that and uh, and, and enroll. So they're gonna have, it's going to have to be resolved quickly. But I think silence is golden in this situation. I think they're working it out. I think there's probably already been uh, word from Taylor that he wants to come to Alabama. Just got to dot I's, cross T's, and get that set up. Uh, you know, could could something happen in the last minute to snag it? Yes, that's possible. But I think it also should be said right now, fellas, that his the top two other schools in his decision-making process both now do not have defensive coordinators. As the big news yesterday in college football and was finally confirmed tonight or yet this afternoon is John Chavis will make his third SEC stop in his storied career as a defensive coordinator and is taking the money and running, so to speak, to Texas A&M to be their defensive coordinator. Now the big thing is, will Brick Haley follow him as defensive line coach to Texas A&M? I don't think that's been, you know, decided yet. But John Chavis, that's a big hire for Texas A&M after they had to wait forever to get a uh, to get an established defensive coordinator. But I will say to get John Chavis is big for Kevin Sumlin. Yep, and uh, we talked earlier about the SEC and how they're doing in bowl games and the state of Mississippi, what have you. Uh, Mississippi State fell down 14 up in Georgia Tech, but they've now come back and rallied to make it 14 to 10. Georgia Tech was driving uh, down around the state 25 or so, or 30, and threw an interception. So the state was taking the ball back over uh, down by four. We're still half a quarter to go, 713 to go in the uh, second period. And, uh, so they're, they're about 75 yards away from a touchdown, but uh, say that all of a sudden made this a more competitive ball game. Yeah, they have. And a young man I know you scouted, Kerry, and I saw play as well. Uh, Justin Thomas from Pratt, quarterback for Georgia State, just threw a horrendous interception, was trying to throw the ball away, didn't get enough on the ball. And so now Mississippi State takes over at the Georgia Tech 25. Dak Prescott's fading back right now. He's going to take off running. But, Mississippi State seems to be settling down. They're, they, you know, they gave up a deep ball just a few moments ago defensively, but they're starting to stop the run. So this looks like it's going to be a competitive ball game. At least, at the very least, it's not going to be an Ole Miss debacle. 
turning uh, back to the Super Bowl, which is obviously the task at hand, uh, you know, we, we kind of kicked around how we thought the game would play out. I've said that it might play out like the Notre Dame game a couple years ago. Maybe a little closer than that. But uh, I, I really feel, you know, talking to players, listening to Bateman, listening to Urban, I really feel like, Luke, that uh, Alabama is in a position to be very least cover the nine-point spread. Well, you know, I, I think they'll cover it late in the fourth quarter, Kerry. I've got it 34-21 Alabama. I know Thomas Watts predicted 38-20. to I know you were very similar in your prediction. Uh, you know, I think Ohio State. Right, right. I, you know, I, I think Ohio State's a very talented team. I think they do have SEC speed. But I do think the Big Ten is a joke. I'll go ahead and say that. And I think Alabama has faced excellent competition. And I'm going by Nick Saban's track record of being ready for these tight bowl games and having his team locked in when the when the money is on the table, so to speak. And the money is on the table. I I love the leadership of this team, Kerry. I thought, despite what Rashawn Evans said that got a lot of pub at media day when you guys were there, I still like what Coach Saban said today. He really likes his, where his team's focus is. He really likes where the, where the team is mentally. And I just think they're going to be ready to play. And uh, I think, you know, Big Hero 6 and all those guys are going to come out and uh, put on a show against Ohio State. Yep. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, well, what if they double Monty Cooper, blah, blah, blah. Here's, here's the thing about that. And Stephen did touch on this. Uh, but if they double Lamar and the other receivers, like, like uh, O.J. Howard or DeAndre White or Christian Jones, uh, guys like that, or Darius Stewart, Cam Cameron, a lot of them are in the rotation now. Chris Black, they've got to step up. Uh, that's number one, Drew, but number yeah. two, or 1A, would be if they choose safety over to double Lamar, that's one less guy they can put in the box. And, you know, we're not sure yet about the health of T.J. Yeldon in the game-time decision. But even if T.J. is not starting, Derrick Henry and Dawson Fowler and the man you mentioned, Tyron Jones, if there's a safety cheated over to help on my and that's one less guy you have to block in the box, that at least, I would say, 15, 20 percent decreases your chance to run the ball. And the man's face tank wants to comment. Thomas. Well, I actually wanted to just add on to that. Uh, Yeldon, T.J. Yeldon's in an interesting spot. He has said that his ankle is getting better and he is practicing throughout the Sugar Bowl week. But even more than that, he's also, as Nick Saban said, he is practiced and he's doing better and better. He's still getting transition. So the hope is, among fans, that he plays. But I also wanted to touch on your, your point about the safety thing. And the big thing that you get when you watch film at Ohio State is they have a very good, very athletic defensive line, but sometimes that athleticism, excuse me, might be but they over-pursue. I think the zone lead concept can really mess with Ohio State because Joey Rose is great, but if he crashes down the line on a healthy T.J. Elder who's been eating him up, Blake Sims just runs on the outside. It, it's that easy. So I certainly think that there are, given the health that Alabama has shown, even during this week, you know, Jerry and I have had the opportunity to talk to these players, it, it bodes well for a very, I guess, for a new question and a very wide, a very wide open plan. True. I don't have a question to you on this. You haven't been down in the world, obviously. 
having been on the outside support, what is your impression of all of that? Well, you know, I think obviously that uh, I, 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 you know, from someone that spoke to the coach, that spoke to some coaches yesterday, I, they they feel very confident that Alabama can execute versus Ohio State's front seven and run the football. And I think that's something that a lot of people have not been talking about. Because of the year Blake Sims has had, because of Amari Cooper and the, and the changes in the offense under Lane Kiffin, they've been talking about them containing Alabama's passing attack. Nobody's really talked about the running game. And I think that D.J. Yeldon will play in the game. I think he will start the game. I think it's some gamesmanship from Nick Saban talking about he's a game-time decision. And unless there's something unforeseen that I have not heard about in practice, uh, I don't think T.J. has re-injured himself because, they, as you all know, they've been taking it easy on him. He has not, in the, during the media viewing periods, he has not done a lot. Now, that, that could change when, they, when everyone leaves, but I doubt it. I think they wanted to keep him fresh, much like the week leading. It's, this sounds a lot like this month. This sounded like a lot like the week leading up to the Mississippi State game where many people thought he would not play in that game. Watched him during warm-ups. He looked good, Thomas and Kerry. And then you remember he played well in the game and had uh, you know the, the, the clinching touchdown. And people forget he also had 127 yards against Auburn. Now, he did not play and have as many yards. He had two touchdowns, only like 47-yard rushing against Missouri. But then Derrick Henry was the closer and was also really the closer against uh, the Auburn Tigers. So I just think that you will see uh, – and, and even if Tyron Jones does get some touches and, and, and even in the running game, I think Tyron has earned the trust of the coaches. He could be someone that Ohio State hasn't seen a lot of film on that could hurt them. But I still think you're going to see T.J. Yeldon and Derrick Henry uh, uh, combined. I'm going to go ahead and call it. I think Alabama will rush for 200 yards in the game. Sounds good to me. It's now 33 minutes after the hour, and uh, we've got another call on the line. Uh, your friend of mine, Drew, uh, Ms. Paige Hockman from Vestavia Hills, Alabama. How are you doing tonight, Glenn Lake? Hey, Carrie. Happy Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Drew. Same to you. Well, Paige, uh, Thomas and I are down here in New Orleans uh, living a big life. Uh, but Drew is uh, doing his, his part of the show from Huntsville tonight. And your ah, company, okay. Paige and have got some exciting news about Huntsville. Right. We, we opened up there December the 6th. And as a matter awesome. of fact, um, we are... So lambed in Huntsville tonight. Which, right. um, I'm happy about that. Huntsville has been a great market for us, and um, they've been very um, accepting and excited and uh, ready to have a concept like Asian Rim up there. So we're just we're we're in love with Huntsville. We really are. They've been good to us. Well, well we're honored to have well, we we have something for everyone, pretty much. Uh, not to bore your listeners, but um, we have everything from sushi to authentic Thai and American food as well. That being hamburgers and steaks, we actually have barbecue chicken and barbecue sandwiches as, as well, and a uh, pretty neat children's menu. So uh, we try to break the kids in early to uh, liking our type of food. <laughs> but anyway, um, I just wanted to call and wish you guys a um, happy new year and, and just uh, looking forward to a Alabama baseball after we get through with football. Yes, yes had, Major. And we're honored that you called and appreciate it. Uh, maybe we could do uh, Bam's live amazing one night. Absolutely. 
all for it. Yeah. Are you guys going to be coming out to uh, the Hoover Mat? Yes. We plan on it. I absolutely want it to. I hadn't seen enough, a lot of baseball in person lately. I definitely want to try to see some of that, especially for the, the, the one season at the Hoover Met. I think it's going to be mm-hmm. a neat situation. Plus, I think the mm-hmm. team is going to be solid, especially if some of the the pitchers come through. I know that they weren't ranked in the top 40 in some of the polls, which with their lineup coming back, I really think it's kind of ridiculous, and especially with some of the newcomers I've heard about through yourself, Paige, and, uh, and, uh, mm-hmm. and Mr. Penley, who does, does such a great job. Mm-hmm. But, Looking forward to the team this year. I think they can have a really good season. And uh, hopefully, you know, uh, came very close to going to the Supers last year. Hopefully can Mm -hmm. take that next step in uh, 2015. I hope so, too. It was disappointing to not be a top 40 team. But it's like Coach Saban said, it matters where you are at the end, not at the beginning. Um, Sometimes I think the fact that Alabama football is so envied by so many other schools that, um, you know, all the other schools just want to beat us in whatever sport they can beat us in. And I think that, that I think that that's part of what actually hurt this Alabama baseball team in their rankings. Maybe that's far-reaching. But um, considering they were in the top seven, you know, at one point last year to not be ranked in the top 40 this year with a junior-loaded team, I don't get it. Um, but I, I'm still amazed at people who don't know that Alabama's going to be playing at the Hoover Met all of their home games. Um, this year, and they are really, Hoover's really Alabamatizing the Hoover Met, so it's going to look like, you know, University of Alabama there, so I hope all the Alabama fans will at least come out and, you know, take it up for game. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I'll come out if I get a hug. <laughs> <laughs> I, can get, I can get you a bunch of hugs, Carrie. <laughs> I got a hug from Carol Robinson the other day. From him? Nice. That was Carol Robinson. <laughs> ah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, wow. Another well, best lady at Warren Page. You all are like a little spat. Yeah, yeah. So that's a requirement. Out, Tom, Carol Robinson. <laughs> I'm kidding. Sandy I'm Trott, kidding. So the best lady of Warren Bama Carrie, it's called trying to cover up gray hair. That's all it is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. I'm not going to go blonde. I'm just keeping my gray. <laughs> 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 So, Paige, we do appreciate you calling before. I know you're hungry, but before you go, uh, where were you and uh, Hot Day watching game one? Um, we, you know, I really don't know yet because we were, well, to make a long story short, we are slammed in here in Birmingham for New Year's Eve. We are slammed in Huntsville. He's in Huntsville. I'm in Birmingham. Um, I'm not 100% sure if he and I are going to be able to hook up before Friday of this week or not. But I will assure you that I will be watching it. And I will be watching it with Alabama fans. Cool. That's awesome. Cool. And do you want to give us a score prediction for tomorrow night, Paige? I think we're going to win by at least two touchdowns. Yeah. Like the optimism. I mean, I'm not sure what that score is going to be with their offense. But I think we're going to take it by two touchdowns. I just hope we don't start out ugly. I don't like it when that happens. <laughs> I understand. Well, Paige, we appreciate you calling, and we appreciate and we want to congratulate you, first of all, for the opening in Huntsville and all the success so far, and I'm sure it's going to be like that throughout. Okay. Roll Tide and Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Paige. Roll Tide. Talk to you later. Talk to you later.
That's uh, okay. Paige Hartman. For those of you who didn't figure out why we were talking about Bama baseball, Paige is uh, Alabama center fielder Georgie Salem's mom. And uh, I've been following Georgie really back. He's a junior at Alabama this year. But I've been following his athletic career for about six years because I can remember writing about Georgie when he was a tailback at the stadium uh, when he was in 10th grade. And uh, he's now the center fielder and leadoff there at the University of Alabama. So that's what Paige was where she was going with her baseball talk and wanting all y'all to come out to the Met to support not only the University of Alabama team and his basketball and his, his, his kids, but her kids, uh, Georgie Salem. So that was Paige Hotman, uh, owner of Asian Men. Uh, her husband Roy is up there running the new thing in Huntsville, and she's taking care of the location in the Asian So always good to hear from our pal Paige, but we want to hear from you too. And the uh, Bounce Radio Hotline number, the uh, Big Head Barbecue Hotline is 714-510-3707. Again, 714-510-3707. Drew, we were talking earlier about the future of the defensive line. And uh, as I was walking around during the one-hour media day trying to interview whoever I could to get my stories done, uh, I had an occasion to talk to DeAndre White. I had an occasion to talk to Christian Jones. And the day before, at the offensive press conference uh, over at the hotel, that's the uh, media hotel in Marriott downtown, I had an occasion to talk to Amari Cooper. And all three of them, to a man, assured me with much enthusiasm, honesty, and uh, confidence that the likes of Ardarius Stewart, Cameron Sims, Rob Foster, uh, and, and Chris Black are going to make Alabama fans quite happy next year. That meant a lot to me hearing it from those from those uh, guys that are going to be parting. Oh, no doubt. And, I, you know, a lot of people haven't talked about Ardarius either. You know, he, he was starting to come into his own, missed the Auburn game due to injury, only played a handful of snaps against Missouri, uh, you know, is now healthy, could, see, could definitely be a playmaker against Ohio State. Uh, and I think – and Robert Foster, in the, when he finally got a lot of reps against Western Carolina, showed flashes of major talent, Kerry. Big spring for him coming up. Really excited about that. Chris Black had his best game of the season against Western Carolina. Interviewed him after that game. He was just ecstatic about how everything had gone. And you could tell he was happy that he finally got a chance to step up. I still think he has – people forget he was a five-star receiver. Was really high, more highly rated than Amari Cooper coming out. So the, the young man has talent. And uh, I just, and you know, and then there's a big guy like Raheem Falcons, who I think has some talent as well. Has struggled this year a little bit with his hands. Wish they had redshirted him. And then don't forget, they also redshirted Derek Keith, who's got a lot of size, who's a six foot five kid, a possession type guy. So they, I think they do. I think they have a lot of talent coming back, and I think uh, it'll still be a really good group. Now you just have to, we have to wonder: Is Jake Coker? Can he make the strides that, you know, we saw Blake Sims make in six months to a year? So I, I hope what you said about Raheem Falcons was true, but my comment on that is very given to call. Yeah, but I, and yesterday was the first time, you know, I'm I'm 6'4". Uh, right. I was in my prime. I'm probably about 6'3 and 3'4 now. But anyway, you, know, you have a little middle-aged strength or something. But uh, I'm right at 6'4". And yesterday was the first time I've been, like, up, you know, face-to-face with guys like Cam Sims and Rob Foster and, and even Derek Keith, uh, those guys are tall. I mean, they have a fit. But getting back to our Darius group, uh, when I was talking, I didn't get to talk to our Darius yesterday. Uh, he's got some of that Keith Nixon red hair going. Uh, but our Darius is a, is a dynamic young man when you talk to him, as well as when you watch him play football. 
And when I talked to him, we talked a little bit about you know his role, not just as a receiver next year, but also as a touchdown Georgia Tech, by the way. Uh, Justin Thomas at home for his interception on Prattle Star and Dammit Commitment with Flip Tech. So uh, put his team up 20 to 13 years, I think that's the point. But anyway, getting back to Argarius. Argarius is, is very excited through about not only his role in the receiver rotation next year, but his role in the kick return rotation. And we talked specifically about what he's worked on this year. And he said he hasn't done much as far as catching punts and practice this year, just a little. But he's really done a lot of reps behind Christian at the kickoff return. So he fully expects to be playing there. And so then I turned around after talking to Darius and talked to Christian Jones. And Christian is very excited about it. He said, he, he, in his words, I hope they give Darius a chance on kickoff return. So I'm not sure. You know how the Saban staff is in the Bobby Williams. The master seems to be, we trust the upperclassmen more on punt returns. So it might be that we see somebody like Cyrus Jones on punt returns. But on kickoff returns next year, even perhaps as early as the first game against Wisconsin, I won't be surprised at all to see our Darius back there on that open kickoff. Well, and I'm going to go ahead and throw another name in there. I don't know if he's going to be on Alabama's signing list, but if he is, I know another man I hope would get a look back there, even as a true freshman. It, it, it just it all goes back to talent and ability, and that's another uh, redhead, Keith Mix. Well, and uh, oh. and we and we'll see about that. That will play itself out over the next few weeks, uh, you know. But we'll see. But I, I agree. Our Darius is a dynamic athlete. Kerry saw him play at Fultondale High School. Loved him on both sides of the ball. I actually thought he might make a better safety, but he's he's shown flashes of uh, dynamic talent at wide receiver. Couldn't really play receiver at Fultondale. Didn't have anybody to throw him the football. He was a quarterback there. But I think Ardarius has a chance to have a really good career. And he's only, you know, a redshirt freshman, so he'll be a sophomore next year and uh, really excited about his future. Yes, and me too. And there's a lot of guys right there on the Alabama team that really haven't had a chance to show their wear since the death starts. But rest assured, there's a lot of speed and quickness. Uh, at the receiver at the fish back. Another guy that I'd like to see get a chance on his turn uh, next year, I don't know if he will or not, particularly because of his age, but I, I tell you, dude, I, I would love to see Marlon Hunter get a look. Yeah, Marlon was a very good kick returner and punt returner at Hoover High School. Robert Foster as well. I think that's somebody else we could get a look. Robert Foster's caught punts in uh, in spring practices before. and He, he will be a redshirt sophomore as well. So... So we will see. I mean, we will see, you know, where that works out. I think a lot of people are going to be interested to follow that in the spring. That will be one of the storylines a lot of people follow. But, I mean, uh, that's uh, that's going to be something in the future that's going to be interesting to us uh, to think about. I think there will be a lot of options. And remember, Chris Black was a really good kick returner in high school. So he's someone else that may get a look as well. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what options play out. Uh, in the spring. And I want to ask you another question, Kerry. We, this, we never really have really talked about him too much. Hopefully Reggie Ragland will be coming back. But what seems to be the vibe or the feel about Reuben Foster's future? Well, you know, I got into an interesting discussion with some online people about a week or two ago about uh, about Bo Starborough and what his role might be. Exactly like I was blaspheming by suggesting he might be an ace back. Uh, and you'll have to pardon me if I don't think that Corey McCarron's going to be starting H-back next year. 
But I don't think Corbin Karen's going to be the star next day. I think it's going to be somebody like it's not Bo Starborough. I, I had one person ask me if there was a chance they could even move Ruben Foster race back to kind of protect his concussion situation because he had been a short yardage running back at Auburn Heights and I think at the Grange too. But our Triple County Rose. But uh, so, you know, <laughs> he, he's out there and he's taking reps with the two. And I, I, I'm just not sure if his future is it is it linebacker or, or maybe somewhere else. So they've got to find a way to get him on the field. Uh, but my, my vibe right now is I'm not sure what side of the ball he's going to be on next year. I, I'm leaning toward defense, but when that person told me he heard the H-back rumor for Ruben, I started thinking, you know what? If, if, if Bo is not going to develop any kind of blocker that can play, and I'm sorry I'm not sold on Corey. I'm sure he's a wonderful young man, but I just think the start next back the University of Alabama is not going to be for the care. So I'm kind of intrigued by the possibility of Ruben playing the H. Well, you know, that could happen. I still think he could – it's all going to come down to whether he can continue to get better fundamentally he, as far as his attack or because he's got a lot of ability to, to be a middle linebacker. You would hope – what I'm hoping next year ultimately happens is they can move Reggie Ragland, who will be seasoned, over to the Mike situation, the Mike position, and then, have Ruben, and then have Ruben at the wheel, not where he's not a signal caller, you know, where he can develop like Reggie has. And you know, be be able to be physical against the run. He might even get taken out, you know, on third down situations for Dylan Lee. That's fine. Dylan's a better athlete, but uh, I just think Ruben's talented enough. He's just finally got to, you know, have the light bulb come on and click. Because I'm going to be honest with y'all. I mean, most people didn't even have Reggie Ragland starting this year. They thought it would beat him out. And then who would have thought Ruben was? I mean, excuse me, that Reggie would end up with 91 tackles. So let's just see what happens. And, of course, also, there's also the, the coaching staff dynamic, Kerry, because Kevin Steele is looking at other jobs. But, we all, I, you know, I, I firmly believe that if Kevin Steele moves on, I would like to see either Tosh LaPoy moved up or Bill Clark come in. Well, those are both very intriguing situations as well. And, uh, you know, <laughs> That coaching carousel, it, it amazes me every year. I, I don't really – did you see the uh, situation with John Davis coming to Kansas yesterday? Uh, I did not see that happening. Uh, didn't you hear before the game that he hasn't signed his contract? And then uh, right after the game, you know, i got to give Glenn Gilbo a lot of credit. He's right on top of the LSU situation, but he said LSU's lost the game, and it looks like they've lost the defensive coordinator. John Chavis is going to Texas A&M. You know, and uh, I think LSU tried to come in at the last minute and and uh, and, get, and change his mind, but it's not happening. He's going to A&M. So uh, that's a huge coup for the Aggies. And now, you know, you're hearing names like Ed Orgeron, who's taking a year off, coming to LSU. I also heard Kevin Steele's name mentioned. So it's going to be interesting to see because Steve, Coach Steele's done a nice job as inside linebackers coach at Alabama, but he has, you know, uh, an excellent resume and has been a defensive coordinator you know, at Florida State and at Clemson, and, you know, there's a long-time linebackers coach at Nebraska. So we'll see what happens in that situation. Drew, our chat room wants us to discuss our feelings about uh, the other playoff game between FSU and Oregon out in Pasadena, which will uh, precede the Alabama game tomorrow. Uh, I, the more I think about it, uh, the more I watch tape on Marcus Mariota, I personally think the Seminoles are in trouble. I disagree. 
I like Florida State in the game. I think their defensive line with Mario Edwards, if they can get some heat on Marcus Mariota. I've seen Mariota get hit before. I've seen him get a little rattled. Uh, I think both teams are going to score. Don't get me wrong. But I think that right now that situation could play itself out to where, oh, my goodness, what a touchdown for Mississippi State. But anyway, but but I will say – but uh, but I will say that you know I think to be honest you know I I really you know it's hard to, it's it's really hard to say but I really think that uh, that Florida State's going to win the game I think they're going to be able to get enough pressure on Mariota I think that, that, that Jameis Winston if he plays a clean game and and with the the top cover corner for Oregon being out it's really going to hurt them. I think Rashad Green will get loose. I would have thought he was going to get loose anyway. And the biggest thing is they got Irving at center now. They're much more physical. Dalvin Cook makes them much more dynamic at running the ball. I think they're going to be able to be balanced. It's frankly going to come down to Jameis Winston. If he plays, you know, a clean game and keeps the turnovers to one or less and can throw the football effectively for 250-plus yards, I really think FSU will win a shootout somewhere along the lines of 31-28, uh, 35-31, something like that. I think Mariota will move the football, but I think uh, the FSU will pressure him somewhat and make him make a mistake or two, and that FSU will escape again. But that's just my thought, and uh, I think it's going to be a great football game. My thought is that FSU can win if they play their A game, but so many times this year they haven't played their A game. And uh, this is not NC State that you're playing tomorrow. Oh, correct. Crazy ending, big for Mississippi State to get them back in the game, 21 to 20 at halftime. So they've got a chance to, you know, make some adjustments at halftime and maybe win this game. I will give them credit; at least they showed up. Unlike Ole Miss, uh, they did get down 14 to nothing, but they've rallied. And right there, that's just that's just the luck of a draw. And that was a great catch by the young man, because by Fred Ross, because that ball almost hit the ground, but he got his hands underneath it and a huge touchdown. For the maroon and white going into the uh, locker room. Uh, it really was. That, that could change the momentum of the whole game right there. But 21 20 to Georgia Tech at the half in the Chick fil A Pizza Bowl in Atlanta, Georgia. So uh, they're trying to save a little face for the Magnolia State after the complete and total obliteration of uh, Hugh Freeze. Uh, this, this, uh, 42 to 3. TCU put it on the group. And uh, as I put on Twitter, uh, Somewhere the tire man weeps. He didn't pay for that. 
Yeah, he didn't pay for that. Now, now his left tackle's got a broken leg. That was unfortunate for Laramie Tunzel, and you know he uh, he's going to be he'll be out probably for the spring as well. And just a, a poor ending to the Land Shark defense uh, that led the nation in scoring defense, but then they realized quickly. I mean, they got a little bit of a dose of what Alabama got in 2008. If, you're, if your mind's not in it, you get thrilled, and obviously. But I felt like all year Ole Miss was, you know, was a paper champion. They did beat Alabama, give them credit in one, and in one game situation. Anybody can win a football game. But overall, Ole Miss cannot run the football, Kerry. When you can't run the football, you're not going to be a quality football team, and you're not going to, you know, be a true top five team. I don't even really think they're a top ten team, and, uh, Bo Wallace is a, uh, an average quarterback at best. And then let's not overstate it, though. When you lose your best player, and by, they, by far their best offensive player is Laquan Treadwell, it's eventually going to catch up with you. Yep. And speaking of Ole Miss and broken legs and losing a dynamic player, Kenyon uh, Gracious sent on us yesterday at, at Media Day that he actually plans to be back in the spring. In fact, right. Now, I'm pretty sure they're going to they're gonna put him on a no-contact black jersey all spring. But the fact that he's going to be out there running around with his teammate has to be absolutely huge news uh, for those who follow the board and Alabama. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, he's a, denied, a dynamic player, Kerry. He can have the same role next year because uh, you'll have Derek King-Henry back, Tyron Jones back, Bo Scarborough added to the mix. I still think Ken Penny will move on to another institution. Uh, I don't. I've heard he's still in the doghouse with the coaching staff. Don't really expect him to return. Hope he does, but would not be shocked if he does not. I also think that's why Alabama is making such a play for Damian Harris and also for Johnny Frazier from uh, North Carolina. We'll talk more about that with John Garcia here in a few minutes. But I still think you know that's the reason that they're going after another back. And uh, also, and let's not forget Moody. Fowler's moving on. He's a top-ranked fullback in the NFL draft. He, they're going to have to find a way to replace him, fullback, H-back. Uh, as you said, I don't think it will be Corey McCarron. be very surprised if that's the case. I do think Bo Scarborough, if he will be a willing blocker, has a chance to get some reps there and be moved around. But, again, it will be interesting to see what they do with that position. Remember, the, the starting age back in 2012 ended up being a walk-on carry who actually went to camp with the St. Louis Rams. So you just you never really know what may happen in the spring. Yep. And uh, getting back, uh, we're not quite ready. To, we're going to take a break at nine. We're not quite there yet. I wanted to make a quick point about special teams, uh, another point, not the return aspect, but the kicking aspect. Everybody's well aware of the great season that uh, – that J.K. Scott had him, that's been documented all week and this week. So I got a chance to get talk to Adam Sutton. And I got a chance to say, and, and even to coach Saban about Adam. And while Adam is still uh, battling a, a stress fracture in his lower back, he's actually had some time to do it, and it does seem to affect his kitchen time. Adam revealed to me yesterday that before the cancer game, he actually rolled an ankle. He said it was left and right. But he said, that's still kind of tender. That's the bad news. The good news is, Adam said he had a pretty good practice yet. So, Coach or his conference at the Dome yesterday, and also with Cooper Bates the holder. And they informed me that Adam did not miss a field goal in practice yesterday. I don't know how he did today, but that he was uh, 100% on his kicks in practice yesterday. So, hopefully, this gutty, greedy young man who's battled injuries is good. 
Well, yeah, there's no doubt about that. I, I hope Adam. I felt like the break would help him and help him get healthy. Uh, hopefully, uh, he's going to be able to to bounce back and kick well. You know, he got off to the seven for seven start the first three games. Was looking great since that time. Five out of twelve, several misses. But uh, we and we had reported first on Intel that you know he was having problems with his hip, problems with his back. You know, he was a lot more banged up than most people thought. And then you were able to talk to him at practice, uh, or excuse, excuse me, at media day yesterday. It's going to be interesting to see how that works because. I mean, I, I do think that uh, it's a good sign that he had a good day uh, kicking in practice. And the one thing uh, he also said, Kerry, that's big, is uh, he likes kicking indoors, and this is in the dome, so hopefully he can have some success. And as Holder wanted me to make a point to everyone that's listening, uh, in case and before we take this break, and we are about to break, I promise, but Cooper Bateman is from the state of Utah. But if you're listening tonight, Cooper wants you to know, you know, don't, don't paint him into a corner. Don't don't uh, journalize. He said, "Everybody thinks I'm a Mormon. I'm not." So. <laughs> uh, finally gets break it. It's nine o'clock in the. Uh, <laughs> it's nine o'clock in the uh, Central Time Zone. Ten o'clock in the top of the hour, wherever you are. We're going to take a break just for a few minutes, and then we'll come back and be joined by John Garcia, Scott Dacon, and talk a lot of recruiting. But for now, you're listening to Bama's Radio, a member of the Bama's Forward Radio Family.
BAMS Radio. It's five minutes after the hour. We're so glad you joined us here. We're a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. I'm your host, Kerry Clark from BamaMag.com, joined by uh, Thomas Watts, the touchdown of Bama, and he's been working his tail off this week writing for them. Andrew the Armand of AlabamaInsight.com. Uh, Thomas and I are live from the uh, Bullard Avenue Comfort Suites in New Orleans, Louisiana. We prepare to cover the Super Bowl tomorrow night from the press box. And then Drew is back in Huntsville, uh, kind of uh, running things there at the home base, keeping in touch uh, with the recruiting and other type of info that we can use. And uh, In fact, speaking of recruiting, we're going to be joined here uh, in a few minutes by John Garcia of Scout.com. But while we wait on that, Drew, uh, and we are going to talk a ton of recruiting when he calls in, any other thoughts you want to put out about the Super Bowl? Well, only that this fool dressed as a uh, Ohio State Superman with Urban Street on his uh, holding up an Urban Street sign. In another 24 hours, he's probably going to need a drink. That's all I'm going to say about that. I came up with a headline to use uh, for one of the people I write for tomorrow night. Uh, if Alabama does win the game, it's going to be simply uh, Bama sends Urban to Bourbon. <laughs> That's a good one there, uh, here. You see Bama original. Word up and call it back. So, uh, yeah, and I feel good about it, too. I, I you know, I, I respect Ohio State. They do have some good players. They have some players Alabama wanted. Uh, you know, they have Brandon Quam McMillan. They have Joey Thompson. They have a guy Alabama was recruiting until way too late to make a decision, Von Bell. They got some good ball players, but they don't have, in my opinion, they don't have quite the talent and the depth that Alabama does. Well, I agree with that, and uh, I think they're a very talented team. But I think Alabama is, uh, you know, has got more uh, depth, especially on the defensive line. I think Alabama's better along the offensive line, and I think Thomas would agree with this. And if he if he wants to chime in, but I think Alabama's better at the line of scrimmage, and that's where you win games. 
Uh, they need to find a way to get Joey Bosa blocked. Uh, you know, Preston Smith, Shane Ray did give Alabama some problems before Ray was ejected. But, again, I think uh, Alabama's had a month to prepare. And, and the only thing, you know, I just want Blake Sims to let the game come to him. I hope the coaches, uh, you know, run the football. Don't, don't put the entire, you know, outcome of the game on him. But I do think his feet and mobility can give Ohio State a lot of problems. Yeah, he's definitely got quicker feet than uh, old Cardell does, Cardell Jones. Cardell reminds me more of a Dak Prescott, whereas uh, Blake is kind of a poor man's Michael Vick, if you don't mind me making that out. Yeah, exactly. I, I think so. And I just think, you know, Blake needs to be efficient, you know, not turn the ball over. And uh, I think if uh, – and, and take it and take some shots. I think he can. I think they can make some big plays. They're talking about Ohio State throwing the ball deep. But what about Alabama? I think Blake Sims is an underrated deep ball thriller. I think there will be plays out there that can be made. And uh, I still think that Blake can be the difference in the game if he continues to let the game come to him, and especially if Alabama can get the running game going. Getting back to the Joey Bosa situation, and, and Thomas can chime in on this if he likes it. My, my thing on that is anytime Alabama plays a, a great pass rusher, I don't care if it's Justin Gare for A&M, whoever it is, they always seem to find a way to, to, to kind of uh, neutralize them for most of the game, and they do that by either cheating a tight end over like Brian Vogel or cheating the H-back Dawson Fowler over to help uh, Cam Robinson uh, in that case. And, and that seems to be a, a pretty successful tactic. Yeah, you know, they, so, and, they have, and Cam Robinson has held his own as a freshman left tackle. And I think another thing, and I've said this before, he's going to be as healthy as he's been in a while, obviously, he had the, uh, the the high ankle sprain, which turned into surgery to put a, a metal plate in his shin that we first reported on Alabama Intel. But uh, he bounced back from that in two weeks, amazingly. Then against Auburn, you know, sprained his shoulder. Still played against Missouri, though. Has had time to rehab both of those injuries. Should be healthy. And I think Austin Shepard has had a solid year. Has really been underrated. I said that in my piece. I just finished right before our show. In the, in the Crimson flashback, I really think he's been as good as any right tackle in the SEC. And now, I, to his credit, he's been invited to the Senior Bowl, and he can have a, he'll have a full year, a full uh, you know week in front of the NFL scout. And I think he'll have, be able to set himself up to being able to play on the next level. And it's been to his benefit this year, Kerry. He's been able to sub in for the injured Robinson and play left tackle. So he's shown that he can play left and right tackle. Could also slide inside the guard. Uh, then that versatility will be to his benefit when he moves on to the NFL. Funny thing about that, Drew, Austin was one of the guys they brought to the offensive press conference uh, at the Marriott that, you know, where the media is having all the most of the stuff. And I asked him Monday, I said, uh, Austin, have you heard anything from the Super Bowl? He looked at me and said, he kind of shook his head left to right and said, no, I, I really haven't. And I said, okay. And then, like 24 hours later, Phil Savage puts out, who was down here this week, too, by the way, of course. He's a normally uh, director of senior both got out on a commentator and broadcast. Some type of commentator for CBS XM, I guess. But anyway, Phil uh, put out through that that Austin had been invited. So I thought that was kind of weird. Right now, Alabama just has Blake Sims, Justin Powell, and Austin Shepard. And I don't think the senior bowl has but maybe five or six more slots. Uh, but uh, anyway, so... Uh, Yes, we uh, will have three guys in the game. And um, that being said, though, we're going to turn the talk now to recruiting because we are 
joined now from San Antonio, Texas. Uh, Live from Army. Texas. That's right. Side of the Army All-American Bowl. Uh, there's a lot of Garcias on Miami and this one's from Miami, but now there's uh, an extra one in San Antonio, and I'm pretty sure he's not the only one. But we're glad to hear you have you here, John Garcia, com. How's it going, buddy? Uh, can I complain? You know, New Year's Eve, got some work done, you know, uh, talking to you guys. Not much yeah. better going on. How, well, i got to ask. I, I've never been there. Excuse me, Kerry. I've got to ask him one time. How's the food, my man? It's really good. You know, I'm I'm not a big, you know, Mexican food type of guy. Uh, but, of course, you know, it being so close to, to Mexico, it, it, it's very good, very authentic. We're actually, uh, the scout crew, about eight of us, we're actually, um, we took in some, some sushi and some Japanese tonight. Uh, not sure what the next stop is after this one, um, but the food's been really good so far, living up to the heights for sure. John, even at age 56, I'm, I'm sorry I wasn't there to school you guys on three-point shooting, whatever gym you were shooting the ball at. Today, <laughs> I would have been happy to have done that. Uh, it seems like you guys are, are having a really fun time cutting this off right here. Yeah, you know, we, it was our first little bit of downtime. Um, you know, we all try to stay as safe as we can. Uh, so the, the topic of basketball came up, and that was sort of my, you know, in between playing football, in between seasons, basketball was always my uh, my way to stay in safe without really feeling like, you know, I'm working hard, I'm working out too much. So um, obviously jump on that opportunity. And then the scout crew, you know, we went 4-1 and one on the day, so pretty pleased. Who uh, who shot the most bricks? The most bricks? <laughs> that might have been me. Yeah. You know, I was a little ambitious with the ball. I'm more of a defensive guy, but uh, we had a good squad. We had some, some high percentage shooters. Alan True out of the Midwest, Gabe Brooks from right here in Texas. We had some assassins on rock for sure. Well, and, and John, obviously, you know, we're we're going to be now talking recruiting a lot. You've been down there in San Antonio, uh, seeing some Alabama commits. And, of course, uh, this week the, there's been a lot of talk about Okiki Valentine, the offensive tackle down there. With the unrest at Georgia, there's been some speculation about Alabama making a move for him. What can you tell us about that and also your thoughts so far on the Alabama guys? Well, yeah, I actually haven't even reported this officially just yet, so I might as well do it on Sam's. You know, T.D. Valentine, okay, okay, actually today – told me Georgia is, is pretty much out of the mix. You know, obviously friends leaving and Bobo leaving was, was enough for him to, to not consider Georgia anymore. He really liked it initially. Wow. It was probably the school he would end up at if those two coaches were still on staff. Trent Thompson has been working his tail off trying to solidify that this week. But, um, you know, the good thing about talking to kids from other countries, TV, of course, from Nigeria, is that they're very honest. They don't they don't play the, the recruit game or give you coach speak like some other guys. So he, he pretty much flat out told me, Georgia's probably not in the mix anymore, and it really looks like it's going to be a good old-fashioned Iron Bowl battle between Alabama and Auburn. And, of course, coincidentally, those, those are the last two officials he took, and he took those back-to-back, literally left Auburn and drove to Tuscaloosa for those two official visits. Love both and really at this point, cannot find much separation between two schools, so that's why he's not making his decision at this game. He has uh, much more evaluation to do, but obviously with Georgia, the uh, in-state school now not as much in the mix, uh, it opens the door for, for both programs. 
That's big. That's big news there. And I guess I am not surprised that he's, he's going to, you know, put the decision off. But I want to clarify something because I think it's correct. But he has officially visited Alabama, but he's officially visited Auburn already too. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. He took them back to back. It was sort of random, almost. <laughs> you know, we uh, we were actually covering the Alabama Mississippi All Star Week, and it was sort of lost in the shuffle because it was around the time that Auburn officially hired Will Muschamp. Um, and Alabama was busy as well with, with a big weekend. And Cheezy's not a kid who's very, you know, uh, expressive on Twitter. He's not in the news a lot in terms of quotes and stuff like that. So it really sort of got lost in the shuffle, both with Alabama and Auburn. So uh, couple that with the fact that at the time, we didn't know about the future of, of the two coaches at UGA. So uh, it all got sort of swept under the rug, and then all of a sudden it has become, you know, quite the story this week and, and obviously going forward. I mean, that decision could come down in any day after, uh, you know, this death period. Nice. Interesting. John, I wanted to ask you, uh, what, what are you seeing so far in San Antonio this week from the guys that are already committed to Alabama? Uh, Rico Madrid has been the story for me among the four Alabama commitments in, in action. All of them have None have disappointed. None have uh, surprised me too much. But Rico uh, being consistent as a cover corner, I, I think, has been maybe it's the story of the whole East roster. Uh, they're all on the same team, of course, uh, being from the Southeast. But uh, McGraw's been physical. He's run well. And probably most importantly for Alabama fans, he looks like he's in the best shape that maybe he's ever been in, you know, in a public setting. So, I, you know, I've practiced it for two and a half years. And, you know, he's fluctuated. He's dealt with several injuries that have, you know, made him, you know, pack on a couple of extra pounds. Uh, but right now he's at 197. He looks lean. He looks very strong at the line, and he's running about as fast as I've ever seen him run. On top of all of that, so uh, I think McGraw has is, is, is been a big surprise, and it probably, you know, makes us look a little smart at scout. You know, we've had him ranked as a corner throughout the process, where others have thought safety all the way, and, and that's the reason why he came out and played corner this week. He wants to prove that he can do that full-time if that's what he's asked for. So he's done very good through the first three practices. we got one more full-go practice tomorrow and then a walk-through Friday before the game on Saturday. So he's, a, he's had a big chip on his shoulder, and it, it's been a good one so far. Yeah, I really other guys out there. The other guys have been pretty good. You know, uh, Makai Brown a little bigger, which is, of course, a good sign for Alabama fans. Everybody wants to see him develop into more of a defensive end, you know, on the look test. Still 230, 235, and, and trying to climb there, but he looks a little thicker. Uh, so that's a positive sign for Alabama. His first step has been probably the best among the defensive ends in the group. Of course, not not as polished a pass rusher as some other guys on the East roster, maybe like a Natres Patrick committed to Georgia, maybe like a Kyle Phillips who was undeclared at the time or at this time. Uh, however, Makai's first step has been really good. You know he's long and lean, so he can get his hands up and disrupt the passer. So once he polishes up those pass rush moves, I think he's got uh, quite the ceiling you know, as that Jack linebacker, Adrian Hubbard type of guy in Alabama's system. Dallas Warmack also very stout on the inside. Still sort of putting things together as a center, much like we saw a couple of weeks ago with Brandon Kennedy at the Alabama-Mississippi All-Star game. When guys don't play center and move there in an all-star setting when they're worried about, like, a five-star and, and Kennedy chase, like, Deron Payne across from him and in Dallas Lomax chase, like, Trenton Thompson across from him, you're worried about blocking that big guy. You're worried about holding your own there much more than actually snapping the football. So 
there have been similar blunders, you know, with that department. However, when he has delivered a snap, and it is all about blocking, he's been about as good as advertised, as stout as I've ever seen him. Uh, he's stoned Trent Thompson a couple of times, Albert Huggins, who's headed to Georgia, or, or excuse me, who's headed to Clemson a couple of times. He's really held his own once he is able to sort of lock in on the defenders. The times that he's been beat, a lot of it has had to do with the snap and almost worrying about it a little bit too much. Uh, and then, of course, Desharius Flowers, um, fourth Alabama commitment on the East roster. Again, he's a running back, so we haven't seen a whole lot of him. He actually sat out one of the first three practices. But from what we can see, he's sort of doing what he did at the Alabama-Mississippi All-Star game. He's passing passes well out of the backfield. He's running fairly well, and, and he's sort of throwing his name in the hat with other big backs on the roster like a Johnny Frazier. Yeah, uh, that, you bring up a good uh, uh, a name that I wanted to ask you about, uh, John. Johnny Frazier is somebody that Alabama has shown a lot of interest in lately in their process. I saw an interview with him today uh, where uh, I read a story on him where he basically has a Final Four now and Alabama looks to get an official visit. It looks like the 16th. What has been your impressions of Johnny Frazier? I've been impressed with his film, but now that you've seen him live, what do you, what do you think of uh, Mr. Frazier? Yeah, I think he's pretty appropriately ranked on scout, I believe. You know, we have him right now as the number three back in the country. I don't know if he's that high, but he's definitely in the top five conversation, which in this running back class is pretty much all you could ask for. It's not the 2014 class where you had seven five-star running backs who are pretty much all doing big things at the college level as true freshmen. I don't think this group is that. Um, but among the guys who are left, you know, Frazier is amongst the best. You know, he dominated small school ball in North Carolina, so I was anticipating seeing him in this setting to see if he could hang with, you know, your DeSherry Flowers of the world, your Mike Weppers of the world, and he has. He might have, have looked like the best running guy in the practices. And again, it's a it's a controlled setting. Uh, it's not obviously full go. Saturday will be the true test for guys like Frazier and DeSherry Flowers and Mike Weber. However, among that group, the argument could be made that, that uh Johnny Frazier has looked like the best staff in terms of size, speed, and the whole nine yards. And he's also been a very willing blocker in inside drills, lift pickup scenarios. So I think that's another plus that maybe we don't see on film as much because if you have Johnny Frazier on your high school team, you're handing him the football. You're not asking him to block very much. So he's been tough. Uh, he's been sturdy. And he's thrown probably better burst than you would expect from a 220-pound kid. John, how is the series is uh, you know, he set up the one practice. It was actually the first practice, and I didn't catch it when he first walked out there because he was sort of in the same gear as everybody. But then I noticed he wasn't rotating in with Frazier and Jordan Cronkite and Trent Chandler Cox, some of these other running backs that are on the East roster. And I, I kind of wondered what was going on. And, and after the practice, he sort of said it was just, you know, tweaked a little bit, just, just for trying to ramp it up early in that practice, aggravated it, but they had a two-a-day on Monday, and he was able to participate fully in that second practice, which was helmets and shoulder pads, and he was participating fully again yesterday on Tuesday. So Flowers appears to be, you know, somewhat healthy, more healthy than he was for the Alabama-Mississippi All-Star Week, and, and as you guys know, much more healthy than he's been, you know, at Viger High School the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're, they're, they're driving around the car. Uh, the uh, Georgia Tech fullback just went very far on a, on a straight handoff, and it's now 28 to 20 Georgia Tech over Mississippi State in the third quarter. Go ahead, John.
who took I, – I, obviously, we, we, we were talking about Alabama. We mean down there in the Army game. Who's been the most impressive thus far this week? Uh, for me, it's Trent Thompson. You know, he's, he's obviously a five-star guy, but, you know, I've seen a lot of Deron Payne this year. I saw a lot of Cody McKenzie at the opening, and now I'm getting my Trent Thompson dosage. And I think each guy has a leg up on the other in certain categories, but in terms of maybe the whole thing, including attitude, Thompson might end up being the best one. He's sort of goofy when, you know, when the, the camera's not on him and he's not, you know, getting a practice rep in, similar to Montez Ivy, if any of you are familiar with his personality. But when the whistles are blowing, I mean, this guy goes 100 miles an hour, tells you about what he's going to do, and he does it. Uh, to be that size and have that first step is, is, is pretty incredible to see. And, again, I think, you know, again, with him, Payne, uh, Albert Huggins, and, of course, Khalil McKinney, just that you can really sort of round robin it with who's the best in the country. Side Tuttle, there's a really good year for interior defensive linemen. But Thompson, this week, from what I've seen, obviously, you know, Payne's uh, not here at the Army All-American game, and Khalil is on the West Coast roster. Of the East Coast roster and the entire roster, Trent Thompson has been the guy. He's been recruiting his tail off for Georgia in the meantime, but when the pads have been on and the whistles have been blowing, he's been the most dominant force on the East roster. I actually got into it with a couple of guys because of how hard he was going. Maybe some expected him to tone it down a little bit in the second practice for the two a day or what have you, kind of get into that all-star mode, kind of like NFL guys do in the Pro Bowl. Well, not Trent Thompson. He's going all out, sort of like Byron Howard's doing at the underarm ball, and uh, I think it's paying dividends for his standing, not only with Scout, but with everybody. Everybody is sort of on guard and, and sort of ready to roll because of the energy Thompson has, has brought to the table. John, I wanted to ask you, I know that you have uh, drawn the assignment of covering the Army All-American Bowl, very prestigious work there uh, in, in San Antonio. But Scott.com also has approved in Orlando, Florida, covering the Under Armour game, which features a lot of both Bama Smiths and Bama prospects. Uh, what are you hearing from uh, Chad and the crew down in Orlando? You know, it's a lot of what we already thought. You know, Dalen Charlotte is, is reiterating what Scout first broke a couple of weeks ago uh, about him not being committed. Um, but the bigger news there was that Alabama was actually – still leading for his services. I think that was a surprise to me, certainly. You kind of assume if a kid decommits from School A, then School B is probably his new leader or, or the new front runner, uh, but not the case, at least publicly, for Dalen. And then he's Miami's going to be in the mix as well. Everything else, sort of, status quo, Calvin Ridley, as solid as can be, Sean Berger, Specker, the same deal. Those guys are all, of course, trying to enroll in the next week or so. Blake Barnett, Deontay Thompson, no worries there. Damian Harris, Always a big topic when it comes to Alabama, and, and between reading what we've produced on him compared to what I've experienced with Frazier and just talking to him, it really seems like Alabama is confident that one of these two guys will be the second back in the class of 2015. I couldn't even tell you which one I would uh, assume at this point. A week ago, I would have told you Harris without a doubt, but in talking to Johnny Frazier, it really seems like that, that official visit to Alabama January 16th could be uh, the biggest singular date within his recruitment. It's going to be the determining factor of, do I want to stay home in North Carolina or do I want to go down to SEC country uh, and play with those guys? I think that's going to be a, a very pivotal couple of days for him. Um, and then, of course, on the flip side, Damian Harris has already taken 
his Bama official visit, and we all know Blake Barnett and, and really the whole crew, 11 commitments in total, working on him pretty much every second that they have of free time. So uh, they're both hearing a lot from Alabama commitments. The Army, the Army Bowl commits have been working on Frazier as well. And, and, of course, they know that the visit is something they have to bank on to recruit him even more. Um, but I couldn't tell you which guy would end up in Alabama at this time. We all know the hurdles that, that Alabama faces against both sacks with the in-state schools, uh, sort of the early momentum with each guy. Uh, so that's another big storyline out at Under Armour. Uh, sort of status quo with uh, Deron Payne. He's announcing at the game on Friday. Alabama fans should feel very confident. I don't sense a whole lot of change in him over the last week or two. It really seems like the school that has, has led the whole time, which is Alabama, probably going to win out there, although Auburn has certainly made a push and the Will Muschamp factor is, is growing on him a bit. So I would expect him to take some steps after making that commitment, but we've all known from day one. Deron Payne's going to be a signing day guy. February 4th, we'll really know where he's going to end up. However, of course, you know every school would like to have uh, their hat picked by him. Uh, at the Under Armour All-American game. And then everybody else is, I guess, sort of status quo. Josh McMillan, maybe the only other question mark. Of course, the linebacker committed to Alabama. He considered Michigan a lot early on. He's an engineering major, uh, hopeful. And, of course, Michigan's program is very well known. And it was sort of the dilemma that Deshaun Hand was facing, you know, before really getting fully enveloped in Alabama's potential as an engineering student. Um, Michigan was sort of the school everyone thought because of that was going to, to win out for his recruitment. McMillan, it wasn't as heavy because he's not entirely coveted. However, um, the program has really impressed he and his father. Now, his mother had not been to Ann Arbor. So the, the question marks for me is once Jim Harbaugh makes that call, and we all know it's coming, does that official visit get set up? And if that official visit is set up, does mom go to Ann Arbor, because McMillan will tell you he's a mama's boy, although his dad is a big factor in his recruitment. So if mama goes to Ann Arbor and that official visit is set up, I think it would probably be time to worry a little bit for Alabama fans. But until that point, I think Josh McMillan is, is one of the more solid guys for the Tide. And the same could be said for Adonis Thomas, Florida, has always been in the mix, still trying with their new staff, and of course Auburn now with Will Muschamp trying to get back in with him. Uh, but it just seems like a little, you know, too little too late for Adonis, who's had Alabama on his mind for a long time, including the day before he committed to Florida in the first place. So I think everything is really status quo with the Alabama guys, uh, except for the hypothetical. What happens if Damian Harris, you know, is second in line to Johnny Frazier? What happens if Josh McMillan takes that official visit? What happens if Jalen Charlotte continues to have Alabama as his leader? The Under Armour is a lot of hypotheticals, but of course, on pain committing at the game is, is still a big storyline and, and something that Alabama fans should uh, pay close attention to. Well, and John, I've got to ask you about another guy. I heard last night that he will more than likely, even though there's been a night, he hasn't been talking. His coach not, is not talking. No, nobody around very much, but I was hearing last night that Kendall Sheffield would most likely commit to Texas A&M over Alabama. What is your thoughts on that? And have you heard anything new on Sheffield is, like I said, he's just been quiet for a while. You know, I, I've talked to a lot of sources close to Sheffield, you know, from his camp in Texas, from Alabama's camp, and people in between, maybe like Texans, who have ties to Alabama, like, you know, several on the roster have right now. And I've gotten three different results. I've had one saying that Florida oh, wow. is a dark horse that really needs to be reckoned with. I've had one that said, 
you know, his father is a real big Alabama fan, and we've heard that story before with a five-star Texan with Tony Brown. That's probably how Alabama sealed his commitment. And then the third source says, despite that, Texas a and still probably the school that is going to win out. Now we have to wonder how the Chavis situation going to LSU right. Texas A&M affects him because LSU was a school Sheffield was highly considering. It's a school he did visit. You know, the whole defensive back university and track scenario factored in big with LSU initially. So you wonder if the locale of Texas A&M plus, you know, the motivation of a, a Chavis, John Chavis, going uh, to be that defensive coordinator, those things sort of overpower any other notion right now. Uh, to give Texas A&M the edge, my gut says that is what's going to happen at the game. However, the good news for Alabama fans, he's still going to take out a special visit to Tuscaloosa next month, no matter where he decides. So if he picks Alabama, he's going to go visit and sort of solidify that commitment, most likely, or if he picks Texas A&M or Florida State, he's going to go back to Alabama just to sort of make sure that whichever other choice was the right choice. And oftentimes when guys do that, they end up decommitting or or at least giving Alabama a much more serious look down the stretch. So similar to Deron Payne, I think Kendall Sheffield is going to be a February 4th National Signing Day type of kid. The only difference is that you don't hear from him as much. So it's more about his father. It's more about his camp, more so than him in terms of gathering that information. John, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about what you're hearing and reading from Chad Simmons down in Orlando. Uh, it seems like the Calvin Ridley, Alabama stud by the city commitment, is really putting on a show this week. Yeah, you know, it's it's sort of what we've heard since the summer. You know, it, it, it's funny. I told this story before, but when you were talking about Calvin Ridley and Sean Burgess Becker a year ago, it was – Tom Burgess Sector and Calvin Ridley. Burgess Sector was always the name mentioned first. He was the two-way prospect. He was the potential wide receiver star who could play a little safety as well. And now, every time you hear about it, it's Calvin Ridley and Sean Burgess Sector because he's ascended that much in the last year, whether it was because people have seen him more or what have you. But his, his weight gain combined with his motivations and sitting out most of his high school uh, senior season has all sort of you know, led up to this big Under Armour moment, this final moment before he enrolls uh, at Alabama. And he's been as advertised, and he's going against some of the best DBs in the country, most notably Iman Marshall from out uh, at Los Angeles, uh, uh, Cal- uh, excuse me, uh, out in California, one of the top schools out there, a guy who's been coveted for a long time, a bigger corner, which is one of the areas of concern for Ridley. He's only 180 pounds. How can he deal with bigger corners? The early reports are that he split those reps. So when he's beating Marshall, it's been with speed and route running precision. And when Marshall's beating him, it's because of a little physicality. So the back and forth there between two of the top 10 prospects in the country, or top 20 prospects, I should say, uh, has been quite the story at Under Armour. And, and they've still got a couple of days left, so there could be a couple more twists and turns. But by all indications, Calvin Ridley has done all he could to position himself as the number one wide receiver when the final rankings do come out here in a couple of weeks. Preston Williams currently holds that spot on scout. He is at Under Armour as well, but of course, coming off of an ACL injury. So oftentimes, those hurt those prospects. And it's not their fault necessarily, but this is an evaluation-driven business. So guys like Calvin Ridley who are playing and are impressing and are so close to that number one spot already, they usually get the benefit of the doubt, and I would probably expect that at this point. Well, John, I know you're usually on top of situations when it comes to knowing if Alabama has a legit shot at kids. You've been on right on top of the Byron Cower situation, and 
in my opinion, you peg that. You've been right on top of uh, C.C. Jefferson. What are you hearing? Does Alabama have a chance to get in deep, uh, involved with Iman Marshall, or do you think he's more than likely? I know he's going to visit Michigan, I think he said, but do you think he's going to stay out on the West Coast and go to Southern California? Yeah, and that, that's the impression, Drew. I think, it, I think it's not a done deal because, you know, these are big-time programs that he has never seen if he visits Michigan, if he somehow makes it down to Tuscaloosa. But at the end of the day, you know, USC has been on it for so long. That that sort of USC lore has been something he's enjoyed, you know, being associated with for so long. He's a kid that, you know, similar to C.C. Jefferson, he likes to see his name on Twitter. He likes to see his name in the headlines. It just sort of all adds up to a USC type of guy staying in state and being a part of, I guess, the youth movement under Steve Sarkeesian playing almost freshman this past season. Biggie Marshall figured to just be the next guy. So he, he gives me an under-Dory Jackson vibe, a guy who considered all these schools, but at the end of the day, his talent, his immense talent, was probably going to stay home. That's what happened, and we all saw what he did as a true freshman, and I expect similar from Biggie Marshall, except for, of course, playing offense as well. I think Biggie Marshall is a clear DB all the way. The bigger question could be corner or safety more than is he going to USC or somewhere else. I think that one's more of a done deal than, uh, than the position question. John Woodard, has he any change regarding Alabama's chances with C.C. Jefferson? You know, if, if Biggie Marshall is, is one that likes to see his name in the paper, then C.C. Jefferson is one who needs to see his name in the paper. He understands what we all do in our profession, and he understands how to manipulate it to a point. And, and it, you know, it, it sucks sometimes, but we have only the choice to react to those type of scenarios. So, of course, I asked him to snap a photo yesterday because we didn't have a new one on scout from him at the Army Bowl. He is injured, so he's just in a jacket, and he throws up the land spot. And I'm like, okay, CC, well, what are you trying to tell me? And he's like, yeah, you know, Olbert has been my leader since that camera visit. He visited, of course, for the upset over Alabama. Uh, he, just, he just hadn't publicly declared it. He hadn't come all the way out with it. And uh, he was really glowing about Ole Miss. Every time I, I mentioned anything, he brought it back to Oxford. He brought it back to the Rebels. He actually asked me, have I been to the Grove? And I, I said, no, because I haven't. And he said, you need to go. It'll change your life. He was he was almost recruiting me to try to get to Ole Miss, you know, to see him one time. So I think, I think it tells you a lot about him today. I think Ole Miss today is probably uh, as close to a lock as possible. But again, this is C.C. Jefferson. Alabama has led publicly. Florida State has led publicly. We all know Florida has led publicly probably multiple times, and now Ole Miss holds that top spot. LSU could get him on campus again. Alabama is a likely destination for him to get back to in the next couple of weeks. So with C.C. Jefferson, you take everything with a grain of salt for that day. Uh, he reminds me of a, a little dose of Marlon Humphrey, somebody who wants to keep his name out there a little bit, but maybe not as quiet as, as, as a Marlon when, when recorders are around. Uh, C.C. wants to see CC's name out there. He's injured, he's not playing, he's not making headlines with his plays, so his recruitment takes precedent over that. He's a smart kid, he's a great kid to talk to and will give you a lot, but he's a smart kid above all else. He's playing the game very well right now, uh, but Ole Miss fans should be excited. Ole Miss should be excited because he's been glowing about the Rebels all week here at Army, uh, but you know, best believe Florida is going to have something to say about it. Alabama is going to have something to say about it. And I do believe, especially if he returns again for another unofficial to Tuscaloosa, that Alabama is 
more likely to land C.C. Jefferson than Byron Cowan, who I believe is, is between, at this point, probably Florida and Auburn. I think the Will Muschamp connection is very big there. They almost marry each other with their personality. So I still believe, even with C.C.'s uh, recent uh, you know, happenings this week, that he's still more likely for Alabama today than a Byron Cowan. Well, well I, Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Game in progress. Dan Clownsey's mullet chose to go for it on fourth and twenty-one. It was about the thirty-five of uh, uh, thirty-five of Tech didn't make it. Tech just drove down the field and uh, former Fratton quarterback, former Alabama commit, but Justin Thomas just scored on an option keeper where he uh, buried uh, one of the state's defenders, Josh Fratt, about the twenty-yard line. It is now Mississippi State thirty-five, uh, twenty Georgia Tech thirty-five. So thirty-five twenty Georgia. Tech leading Mississippi State. Uh, it's just two continues to struggle, but more specifically, the Magnolia Street uh, is uh, getting an unanticipated trip to the woodshed in two different bowls today. Yeah, not a good day for Mississippi except for the T.C. Jefferson information. But I wanted to ask you about uh, as far as how it can affect Byron Coward and C.C. Jefferson, John. You probably heard today it's been announced he's leaving Arkansas. Randy Shannon will be the linebackers coach at Florida for Jim McElwain. What kind of impact will that have? Obviously, with those two guys, and it should be a, a positive for uh, for Florida in, in in their own state because Randy Shannon has deep ties to Miami and within that state. Yeah, I, I think it doesn't hurt certainly, uh, but it's not it's not a little much chance at Auburn type of scenario. It's right. not a guy who has been in with a lot of these guys. That's maybe not even his fault. You know, at Arkansas, they obviously had their goal has been to put a border around their state, and they've done a very good job with that goal in the class of 2015. But beyond that, really not a lot of success in Florida. I mean, Louisiana, Texas has been more uh, of their deal than Florida in recent years. Of course, Shannon, we all know, who's history playing for Miami, coaching at Miami, the whole nine yards trying to clean up Miami after their uh, bounces from uh, in the 2000s. So it can't hurt with these guys. Uh, I know he is well-liked in general by recruits, but, uh, again, a guy coaching linebacker, how much is that going to affect a C.C. Jefferson or a Byron Coward? I-, I think it helps them in trying to repair their relationships without Will Muschamp. But, again, both of these guys have been Gator fans their whole life, uh, and both of these guys will consider Florida all the way until the end. Uh, I think C.C. Is, is still probably more likely to leave the state than Byron. I think if Byron does leave the state, Probably for Auburn, GC, obviously Ole Miss and Alabama in the mix among the out-of-state schools. So I think it'll help, um, but I'm not sure how familiar this guy is with Randy. You know, you got to remember, you guys are 17, 18 years old right now. So by the time, you know, the time that Randy Shannon was coaching at Miami, these guys were 10, 11, 12 years old. Uh, and then before that, obviously, they weren't even born when he was playing at Miami. So uh, how we view it, you know, as, as adults and how and professionals in this industry – isn't always the same as these kids. Now, John Davis, who has tangible success at Louisiana State, going to Texas A&M, that's monstrous because it's happening now. Randy Shannon is not the same type of commodity in terms of how he is known in his territory. So, again, it helps. And when, once they learn about him a little bit more, it can only help them. And Steve Jefferson has talked about taking another trip to Gainesville uh, to see the Gators. Um, but beyond that, I'm just not sure if it's one of those uh, game changers like a Will Muschamp well, and i got to ask you about a couple guys. I'm sure Chad Simmons has been keeping you up to date on how he's been doing, but I know Drew Richmond has been very impressive at the Under Armour practices. 
uh, and has not really been doing a lot of interviews or talking about his future. Uh, do you have any insight into Drew Richmond's thought process? Obviously, you know, he, he couldn't have been pleased with how the Rebels played today, but he could also see a playing time angle, especially with Tunsil now injured. Uh, what, what What is the latest with Drew Richmond and then Isaiah Prince? Yeah, I was actually going to lead into Isaiah myself. I think Alabama's got potentially a dilemma on his hands. At one point before Matt Womack committed, there was a – it wasn't quite the quarterback scramble that Alabama dealt with before landing Blake Barnett, but there was some concern about the offensive tackle position. You wanted two guys in the class, one to play right, one to play left. Obviously, Matt Womack is there on the right side, but on the left, you wanted the chance at one elite guy. Now, all of a sudden, three Scout 100 guys uh, seem to be higher and higher on Alabama as the days progress. Isaiah Prince, of course, here at Army, going to take an official visit on the 16th of January to Richmond admitting he's probably going to take an official visit to Alabama in January as well. And then we just broke down Chidi Valentine and Kiki. Now, these guys are all at three different stages. And I, I was actually asked this question on, on which one you would prefer today, tomorrow, and in three years. And I think there's three different answers. You know, I think today Isaiah Prince might be uh, the most ready. I think in two years, Drew Richmond, with, with some added strength and technique, could be the most ready. And obviously in three or four years, Chidi Valentine or Kiki, could be a top 10 NFL draft pick. So I think that's how different the guys are, and that's how different these guys are at their stages of development. However, the message has been exactly the same to all three of them. Come to Alabama, come play on the right side, eventually shift over to the left side once some guy named Cam Robinson leaves, and then we'll see what happens. So each guy is hearing that. It will be interesting to see if Valentino Kiki returns to Tuscaloosa for a visit while and Isaiah Prince is there, and perhaps while Isaiah Prince and Andrew Richmond are there, I think that's going to get very interesting on how Alabama handles that situation. So they've got a good shot at all three. Obviously, each um, is, is an All-American type of player, Valentino Kiki and uh, Prince here at Army and, and Richmond impressing, as you said, down at Under Armour. And all, everything I'm hearing mirrors what you said. You know, he's, he's doing everything he can uh, to challenge for a five-star status. I think what hurts him is, is maybe some early camps where he didn't look as good, uh, you know, in the last year or so. But, of course, you know, his progression will turn heads and, and justifiably so uh, in the rankings it should be reflected. Uh, but Isaiah Prince has been a beast out here as well. You know, he's bigger and longer than Marquez Ivy. I think people don't realize yeah. this because he's not as publicized, but he is bigger and longer than Marquez Ivy. And we all know what kind of a freak Marquez Ivy is. And I think that was the most surprising thing on the look test, and he's been just as good as Marquez in drills as well. But I think Prince is, is sort of a forgotten man of the bunch, but I think uh, as Alabama you know, recruits have been courting him here, they probably feel the best about an Isaiah Prince, maybe over a Drew Richmond or a TV Valentine on KK. So this embarrassment of riches uh, has come out of you know, a potential scramble situation at one point. Now it looks like any one of these three, or perhaps even two of these three, might want to jump on board at Alabama at the same time. So uh, a good problem to have uh, for Mario Cristobal and company. All those players like him, all of those guys are, are closing in on that final decision. So it's going to be really interesting at the left tackle position uh, in the next couple of weeks. Okay, one more question about uh, Valentino Kiki. You have him down there. You've been able to see him in person. Heard, some, heard there may be a situation with his academics because of all the transfers. Do you have any light you can shed on his academic situation, and could that be another reason why he's uh, postponing his decision? 
Um, I, I don't think so. He gives me the impression that uh, him postponing a decision is strictly about making one, uh, not necessarily anything off the field. However, you know, we, we said he's a very honest kid, so maybe if that was a scenario, he would bring that up. I haven't heard details on that just yet, uh, but I do know that uh, his plan as of today, literally, uh, is still to enroll uh, this fall, still to enroll and sign with a program in February, and uh, obviously that decision looking like an Iron Bowl battle at the end of the day, but of course, situations like that are ongoing. At this time last year, we thought both Sparborough was you know, about as close as good to go than he had ever been, and obviously we all know how that turned out, so things can change in a hurry. He's transferred, as you said, multiple times to multiple states just like Bo did, so those are always tricky scenarios. However, uh, until we know more, we have to sort of assume that he is good to go in the class of 2015, although he was once upon a time a 2015 recruit. John, uh, I wanted to ask you this. We, we've had everybody committed. Everybody that's connected to Blake Barnett, his quarterback coach, his head coach, his mom, his dad, Blake stuff, multiple times here on man. And uh, I continue to hear good things uh, about his performance down in Orlando. Uh, what, what are you hearing on Blake Barnett and what he's shown thus far? Uh, I, I lost you on, on some of that question, but I know it's about Blake Barnett. Um, his, his reviews have been, you know, not quite as overwhelming as the opening, but I think that's a good thing. You know, he was expected to compete well at Under Armour. As to, you know, during the opening in the Elite 11, he was sort of the underdog. He was the new guy. Um, well, it may not be in it as much, not necessarily as Athens to Alabama. Uh, I don't know if it's public yet, but I was told he won the skills challenge at uh, the Under Armour All-American game among quarterbacks. So obviously he's doing something right. Uh, sort of every event he goes to, he picks up some kind of hard work. He gets some kind of accolade. We know what he is as a recruiter. We know what type of city is. You guys are talking to him just as much as anybody. Uh, we know what type of family he comes from. Despite their situation, uh, so Barnett really at this point just looks like the whole package to Alabama. Somebody asked me out here at Army, you know, is he going to be the starting quarterback in two years? And I said, you know, if I had to guess today, I would probably say yes. And I would say he has a chance to compete for playing time this year since he's an early enrollee. I think he's that type of guy. He he seems to assimilate very quickly into certain scenarios, into certain situations where a lot of these other guys don't. You know, there's been question marks with. All the other top quarterbacks in this class, are they motivated enough? Um, can they adapt enough? Can they adjust to the speed of these wide receivers enough? None of those have come up with Blake Barnett at any of these events. And we've, we've had people at all of them, I was, of course, at the opening and the Elite 11. Nobody has asked that question about Blake Barnett, despite maybe playing for the least talented team among all of these elite quarterbacks. So I think it speaks volumes about what type of kid he is, how uh, open his ear is you know, to, to uh, criticism, the coaching on how he adjusts to speed and to new systems. Because obviously if you go to the opening and you're learning seven-on-seven plays and drills and techniques, then you come to Under Armour, which is a bit of a different style and coaching crew and obviously personnel with full gear on. Uh, It's kind of tough for quarterbacks. Those guys have to learn a lot in a short amount of time, but he's seemingly taking it all in stride. And obviously when it comes to just a pure physical throwing, he wins the skills challenge. So he's sort of got the whole package and has become this five-star, can't-miss type of guy. That's a tough label for anybody to deal with, but it seems like if anybody can handle it, it's probably Blake Barnett. I also wanted to ask you, uh, is there any scenario left where Alabama gets another tight end? Uh, you said another tight end? Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, 
Tyrone Wheatley has been an interesting name. That uh, He's kind of like Isaiah Prince. He doesn't do a lot of interviews. He's not in the spotlight a lot. He doesn't go to a lot of camps and stuff. So people don't really know about him. But he's near a Sky 100 guy who plays tight end and defensive end out of Buffalo, New York. His father is, is Tyron Wheatley, the running back who played at Michigan with the Raiders and what have you. So he's a familiar name. Um, but, again, he's a guy who's turned a lot of heads. I was actually talking to a source at Alabama in the last couple of weeks who said, you know, he's probably the number one tight end on the board among uncommitted guys right now. And I was actually talking to a source familiar with Tyrone here at the Army All-American Bowl, and I found out he actually prefers to play tight end over defensive end, which is surprising to me because we haven't rated a defensive end. Everybody just sort of assumed that the guy's a tight end and the DN, DN's probably the position he would want to play. Well, not necessarily the case for Tyrone Wheatley. We know the pedigree he has. We know the connection to Michigan he has. Uh, but that same source says, you know, don't think Michigan is the loss that it is. Now, there's a lot of rumors about his father joining that coaching staff, which would, I'm sure, you know, tip the scales a little bit. But he's another one that is going to be in Tuscaloosa on January 16th, taking that official visit. Uh, and it could be, you know, a big deciding factor for him. There was some USC buzz with him, of course, Michigan buzz with his father being who he is. Uh, but there's some, you know, there's some tangible uh, things that his father has to deal with in the meantime before signing day. So how much can his son uh, trust where he is going to end up? You know, Doug Marone, the coach of the Buffalo Bills, where his father currently coaches or, or coached as of today, he opted out of his contract today. So now all of a sudden there's question marks on where Tyrone Wheatley Senior will end up. So how much could that truly affect Tyrone Wheatley Jr. when he has five weeks to the day to make that final decision. So a lot of dominoes to fall in for Tyrone Wheatley Jr. However, we do know he's going to take that official visit to Tuscaloosa January 16th. So if the staff feels about him, you know, that day, how they felt well, when I heard how they, you know, how they viewed him, uh, I think it, it could be a red carpet type of treatment. And he could end up being a tight end and a pass rusher down the line, a guy who you could, you know, use on both sides of the ball during practice to sort of figure out where he fits best, maybe like a Ronnie Clark type of guy. We've seen Alabama move guys from tight end to defensive end in the past, and he could be the next one. And, and that would be a big piece in 2015, especially with the, the sort of wavering confidence with guys like Jefferson, Byron Cower, and we know Will Graggs, you know, at Arkansas at this point. Uh, and other tight ends have kind of just fallen by the wayside in terms of ones Alabama's had chances for to pair with Hale Henches. So Tyron Wheatley could be the answer to multiple questions for Alabama in the class of 2015, and he's probably the guy I keep the closest eye on among those that, that are not talked about as much. Justin Thomas has scored again, and going to check the lead on 42-20. It's safe to say that uh, Jeff Collins' partner definitely affected the preparation by Mr. State for the Georgia State Austin Tag. The really, really uh, again, you guys are coming in choppy, and I've actually got to run after this one, but uh, I think you said, you know, what announcements should be paid close attention to at these games. Um, well, Casey Valentine and KK is no longer announcing at the game. That was at, at one time a plan. We told you about Deron Payne and Kendall Sheffield announcing at the Under Armour All-American game. The one that surprised me today that I learned a little bit more about was Lawrence Cager. He is for sure deciding 
on uh, Saturday here in San Antonio. And it, it seems like there's some growing confidence among the Alabama recruits, Adrian. And I spoke to him today as well. He uh, he didn't want to reveal too much, at least on the record. But um, but otherwise, I would say Alabama's in an interesting position for him. I expect an ACC-SEC type battle for him. And, and, and the assumption there is that Virginia Tech is in the driver's seat. From talking to the people I did today, I would say Virginia Tech is not in the driver's seat for Lawrence Cager. And, and again, I said ACCS, that means Ohio State, out of the equation as well. Uh, that puts Alabama in pretty good position. Miami is another school to keep a close eye on. And, and there's some late schools trying to make a charge. Georgia, Ole Miss, all these coaches have been uh, talking to him per Lawrence Cager himself. But two coaches from Alabama have been in contact with him in the last couple of weeks, Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban, this week. If Nick Saban calls the case the week of the Sugar Bowl, I think he's a pretty important recruit, and that's surprising to me. I thought there was more of a K.J. Hill, Dale, and Charlotte situation at wide receiver, but apparently, according to Cager, Nick Saban talked to him this week uh, and has prioritized him late in the process. So maybe some fluctuation on the wide receiver board. Who knows? Um, but nonetheless, Lawrence Cager is a guy I'm paying much more attention to today than I was just 24 hours ago. Great stuff, John. Really good stuff. Uh, really good stuff. Uh, appreciate you spending time with us on New Year's Eve, and uh, thanks for all the contributions you made to the radio, John. And happy New Year, sir. Yes, sir. Happy New Year, guys. Let's do it again in 2015, huh? Yes, sir. Happy New Year, John. Thank you. This actually good, Drew, with, with John giving us uh, a couple more minutes left on the show. We can we can kind of swing back to uh, to the Sugar Bowl, and uh, this is probably a good time for you. I think. Uh, 38 21. Oh, 34 21. Oh, wow. I'm going with 38 17. Thomas, your score prediction is? I think Alabama is going to be close to the board. And Eric Henry will be with Eric Henry. Get ahead of the team. My defense will be tired. Let me hit the small.
Well, you know me, I like to do alliteration. I'm going to call it Woodshed Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a better one. Woodshed Wednesday. That's well, even some, better. Most of them have gotten taken out behind the woodshed, pants on ankles, uh, bent over, the, the biggest razor strap in the world, getting taken to both of them. I hate it. Uh, no, I don't really hate it. Uh, I don't really I mean, either. I, I, you know, the, the whole old Middles thing is as long as the time man's buying plays for them, I know the full thing, any kind of game, I don't care what's no XP for which they don't really have too much bad feeling to them. I just think Bowen's kind of a clown. And uh, I, I think it's kind of funny what's being done to them. Lloyd Kramer took all the old SEC rah rah stuff out of me. I don't think he lets me back. I'm damn, I'm not SEC. Yeah, that's 100% accurate. I agree with that. And, uh, you know, hopefully we're, Alabama's, you know, we're, we're less than 24 hours away now, guys, to finally being able to stop the talk and play the game. Looking forward to, you know, seeing Alabama play against Ohio State. Uh, I still think Amari Cooper's going to get his touches, uh, but I'm looking forward to the other weapons around him stepping up, the offensive line playing well, and then winning the game where you win the game. You win the game in the trenches. Uh, Alabama's, uh, you know, a 3-0 and all-time against Ohio State, and I'm expecting 4-0. Very good. Very good. We're, we're going to wrap this thing up. Uh, Drew, happy new year. Thomas, happy new year. Happy new year to both of you. Time, time to wrap up another New Year's Eve edition of Fans Radio. We'll be coming to you live from the uh, Bulls Avenue Company in Suites here in New Orleans, looking out of that Thomas and me and Drew from the home base back in home school. Uh, but again, thank you so much for joining us and all your support you give Advanced Radio all of 2014. We look forward to continuing to bring you the best in Alabama radio coverage in 2015 here on Bams Radio. Uh, signing off now, I'm Gary Carson from Alabama.com. And on behalf of Thomas Watson, Southside Alabama, Ruby Armand from Alabama, yeah. happy to be here and roll tide. This is Bams Radio, member of the Alabama Sports Radio family.